for joining us for another night of Dungeons and Dragons. I'm your host and Dungeon Master, Kenny. We have with us our party for the Sword of Yalzar campaign, including but not limited to our Sorcerer. It is I, Leo. Our Druid. It is me, Cub. Our Paladin. Hey guys, it's Dakota, saving people with a smile. Our Ranger. Rodnar the Merchant. Our Rogue. Brindlin. And introducing and officially replacing our former cleric, our new fighter. Uh, hello, my name is James. I'm playing a fighter to be named later. So, when we left left off, you guys had just been sort of welcomed into the tent that is allegedly the house for what is very clearly the leader of this little oasis town. Uh, <laughs> uh, you all were introduced by what was described as a burly Aladdin-looking person. Um, and he welcomed you all into the room. I believe you all sat down in front of what was described before as a pale, uh, old centaur. Um, and something that I left out in that description is that it's not so much that this centaur is pale, is he's actually albino. Like, he's full white from head to toe. Uh, and it would probably explain why he lives in the quarters that he does. <coughs> so, uh, I assume you all sort of, you know, are sit, sit in and, and, and relaxed. Uh, the guy who welcomed you all in and sort of brought you into this place sort of turns around and uncrosses his arms for the first time you've seen and closes uh, closes the tent folds uh, and then turns back around with his arms once again crossed. Uh, the centaur, looking past you all, uh, speaking for the first time, he speaks past you guys to the other person, the, 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 the Aladdin type. And he says... My friend, we are amongst people who are on a very special path. And it is time once again for us to aid people on such paths. I believe it's time for us to give up the charade of your appearances. Not to mention, you still have some debt to work off still, I believe. To that, the burly man sort of uncrosses his arms and as he sort of shrugs his shoulders walking past you all to the centaur's side he takes in a knee onto both his takes a sit onto both of his knees having a very sort of upright and disciplined look and while he does all this his sort of skin and frame wobble as an illusion sort of shatters off of him revealing uh that he has the head of a tiger is dressed in very fine silken garb. Uh, and the most peculiar thing is that it's almost as if someone took his hands off and turned them 180 degrees and then put them back on. So his hands are facing incorrectly. Uh, so he sort of bows his head, clasps his hands together into sort of a praying clenched fist, tucks it into his chest as he bows his head to you all and says, you may all know me as Somi Beat. And he sort of gestures to the centaur and says, and this is Mus. Uh, does anyone have any interactions at this point? Uh, yeah. Um, do you want me to do, uh, can I do a history check to see yeah. if I remember any of my father? 
Hold on, I'm going to message you something. Sure. Uh, either. Whichever you want to do. I'm fine with either. Okay. Uh, 11 is what I had. Okay, so... You remember the stories of your father's history and, like, adventures that he obviously told you when you were younger. And you, like, remember amongst the fragments that he mentioned he uh, of, of characters that fit the description of these two. But you don't really remember anything substantial about that interaction, just that your dad definitely met these people at some point. Okay. I'm going to kind of, like, give them that look of... I sort of remember something about them, but I can't place it 100%. Place my hand over my heart and in like a greeting and say, and my name is Dakota Pathweaver. To that, uh, Must sort of very understandingly nods, and you can hear his voice sort of whisper in your ear um, as he sort of bows his head in turn. Ah, I thought I might recognize you. You're younger. Or perhaps that was your father I met. I will kind of have a half smile and say, I believe you're thinking of my father. Indeed. A great man who has done much since I met him. Yeah, it seems so. I've heard many stories. You two feel familiar from one of those. Uh, Somi Beat sort of like visibly huffs and a small little flicker of flame shoots out of the corner of his mouth. Uh, does anyone else have any other interactions? Um, Orwellia would be sitting there um, having pulled the skull of his out of the pouch and placing it in his lap so that it too could watch the proceedings. Uh, to to that, Mus is going to sort of like focus his attention on that skull for a moment, uh, and he's going to like beckon his. He's going to gesture with his hand. He's going to beckon towards Aurelio, uh, but as if to sort of welcome you to come closer. But instead, uh, sort of before you can really respond to that gesture, you feel the skull sort of float up out of your hand, uh, and sort of turn as it floats towards Mus and sort of clack its jaw a couple of times. Um, Orwellio would yelp as the skull leaves his possession and grasp at it several times. However, being relatively uncoordinated, it um, he wouldn't catch it. So the skull sort of begins to float around Mus's uh, open-palmed hand as it uh, sort of just seems to be holding it up despite not making contact with it. Um, and... I maybe skipped over this. So, like, he's not just old. He's quite atrophied. Like, there's very little muscle mass to this centaur. Uh, I'm sure to many people, when they envision a centaur, they envision, like, sort of imagine this very built, strong-looking humanoid torso and, and above. But uh, this this one is, is quite old and, and very f- physically feeble-looking. And he, he sort of looks past the skull to Orwellio, and he says, where did you get this skull? He would kind of look left and right for a moment um, and cough before finally responding. 
Orwellio found it um, in the library, just the library. There are many libraries, some of which that hold great relics of power. Which one did you find this one in? The Capital University. It was a bookmark, bookend, yes, a bookend. Hmm. No one needed it, Orwellio took it. Well, I'm sure those books needed it, but beyond... Be careful when you listen to this skull. Its whispers are for more than just you. And he sort of gestures it back towards you and it sort of floats around. Uh, and even the not necessarily magically inclined in the group can sort of see a little gout. Uh, sorry, not gout. Uh, how to describe it? A little ember of green flame flicker inside the skull for just a moment if you are looking at it. Um, <clears throat> that wouldn't phase Orwellio at all because that's his best friend and why would anything bad happen to it? And he would clutch at the skull and uh, cradle it both possessively and protectively. Uh, Ree would lean in to Mus and just kind of whisper, he really loves his skull. Must sort of smiles at you and says, Ah, Breedlin, yes, I would also love that skull, should I possess one. And then I would look to Orwellia and go, He knows my name, excitedly. He seems like he knows many things. Indeed. And that is why I had hoped you all would find our town. I have been watching your path since you left left Latchburg. You're traveling further south and then somewhat west to meet a big ball of fire that calls himself a giant. Uh, Bree might then like kind of scuttle up and cross-leggedly sit nearby and say, how do you know all this? Uh, as you sort of scuttle up to Mus, you're going to see that Somi Beat's eyes are fixated on you. Um, not aggressively, like, hands-on weapons or anything, but, like, he's pers- he's trying to gauge whether or not you're a threat. Uh, and you can sort of feel his eyes on you, even if you're not looking at him. Uh, to which Mus responds to you and says... Well, some are blind, and when he sort of says that, he, like, fans both of his hands across his face, revealing, uh, you know, shut eyes that open to useless fake eyes, or, you know, cut-out eyes. And some, and he waves one hand across one of his eyes, are only half-blind, and the eye he waved that hand over is, like, full again, like they were when you met him. And some, he sort of rejuvenates the other eye with a similar gesture, have all the eyes they could ever want, but are still blind to the things they wish to know. And he sort of holds his hands above his forehead, like with his thumbs and pointer fingers forming a triangle. Uh, And then as he moves his hands away, a little white triangle of magic stays there. Uh, 
and sort of spins until it's upside down. And he says, and some eyes cannot be closed once you open them. I am very familiar with all of my eyes, and I see far and wide wherever I would cast them. Look, and he sort of uh, waves his hand across that little uh, upside-down triangle of magic, and you can see through it, almost like it's a window. And before you, you see you all uh, making your way into the beginnings of the desert and sort of snapshots of you all going near the brine lake and you all seeing the salamanders and then one of you, you know, pointing to the oasis town and he sort of wipes the magic away with his hand and goes, I am a watcher, a clairvoyant, some would call, and an oracle to others. My power is not in the physical, so you can see it is in the mystic, the divine, the divination. I have seen many things that are to come, and it is for those reasons I hoped to intercept your path and guide you, if I can, towards some of the more favorable outcomes for the crystals. You'll help us? In a way. As I said, my ability to assist you physically is very little. And whilst my compatriot Somi Beat here, he sort of gently puts the back of his hand on Somi Beat's chest, he would easily be able to assist you physically in great, great detail. He is a mighty warrior. His place is by my side to protect me. As it has been for how long now, Somi Beat? He responds, 637 years. Ah, exactly. Almost done with that, I believe. But, yes, I can help. We would certainly accept your guidance, great mystic. I like the trick you do with the with the watch the people thing. I like it is. Must sort of grins. Very well. I understand you go to the great iron keep in the middle of the desert. You are seeking the giant there. Is that correct? Yeah. Amongst his vassalage or subjugation, even, is a very, very talented rust-dwarf smith. It is he that you are actually in this desert to meet. He will do great work with what is in that box, and he points to the the parcel you all have. Whoever's carrying it, he knows where it is. Uh, I think it's in her carriage. Okay, then he would you know point past you all. Do you know what's in it? I do. What is it? If you do not know, then it is not time for you to know yet. But I assure you, when you meet the, the forge master at that keep, you will know then if you will not know before then on your own choices. But know that you have in your possession 
a piece of immeasurable power that is very dormant and young, and one day will be mightier than all of the might amongst you. I promise. Even more than Dakota. Easily, I'm afraid to say. I'll poke my bicep. (laughs) This is beginning to sound amazing and intimidating. It will be both. And many times each, Orwellio. He would pick up the skull and say he know your name. (laughs) What advice I can offer when you enter the domain of the giant is like with all giants, always be kind, always be gracious, and always be be flattering. Giants' egos are much smaller than their bodies, but their hunger for their ego is just as ravenous as their stomachs. He will test you, but I ask you to be forward with what you request. Deceit and deception in his court will get you killed, and I do not believe that you all are up to the task to prevent such a fate should he set upon it. Orwellio coughs like once. <clears throat> there is one then, other thing. Oh, go ahead, Nathan. I was going to say, uh, then truth is the path that we must walk. At the very least in this occasion, that might not always be true, and that will be difficult for you most of all. right about do recall that you all have your values you all have your morals but all of these things will be tested and all of them if they are in your way must be discarded for what you all are to do on your journey is more important than any one or even all of your lives and I would only hope that you would lay them down to protect your parcel. Orwellio, very happy to volunteer people's lives for this goal. I mean, all of ours. <laughs> is there anything else that you all might think I could be of assistance towards? My healing magic is immense. No, but I do have a question. Yes. What the hell was it that came out of that lake? Oh, the brine? Yes. Yes, Jess. That lake is a tale of sorrow, Orwellio. I will spin the tale for you if you desire, but it will take time. Although it will give you insight. Uh, Does... uh, I yes, I would like to hear this if everybody is of Yeah, let's hear it. They're fine with it. He waves it all he waves a hand. <laughs> to this, uh he sort of raises both of his hands up and sort of 
swishes them in small circles until all of the candles and lights in the room snuff and it's much darker and there's still some sunlight coming in from the top of the tent but it's very dark and then a small white flame flickers on the ground between he and you all and it rises up and grows in size until it's about the size of like a basketball to you and i okay like the size of a large melon perhaps for in-game purposes. <clears throat> and as it does so, it begins to produce a massive amount of light, uh, easily lighting up the room again. Um, but there's no heat from this flame. And as he s- sort of gesticulates around the fire, it begins to form and smoothen and go flat. And then it raises and lowers in places until it looks kind of like the sand dunes of the desert. And you can see a small group of uh, humanoids walking across these deserts dunes. As he tells the story, this sort of white fire enacts the actions he describes. Many, many years ago, when the rust dwarves were new to these lands, before the mountains were done washing away the blood of dwarves. The rust dwarves found their new home here in the dunes, a place that they could call their own, a place where they could call their mastery to question and improve themselves further than the mountains ever did. Mm. There were many small places like where you all are now, gentle little oasises, where respite can be found. But no towns like this one had been settled yet. The people who lived in the desert were terribly few and far between, especially at that time. However, amongst all of these dunes and all of these oases, there was one much larger lake. And this was where the rust dwarves would gather and was one of the largest places for which they dwelled for many, many years. However, as people gather, corruption can fester and take root. There were a small group of very dedicated malcontents who did not care for the strict and then very lax nature of the rust dwarves' ways, where preparation is key, as I'm sure you've encountered already but beyond that especially in the desert nature is prime these malcontents desired more structure more order across all of the dunes <coughs> but when the rust dwarves bayed against them and told them no that it was not their way to do it was not for them to rule the dunes they must remain free these malcontents struck at the bleeding heart of the rust dwarf budding society and drowned the rust dwarf leader in that lake. They struck his soul from his body, put it to torture, and gleaned all kindness from his old heart. 
His anger, his rage, and his sorrow for his people wept from his soul like tears. And all of this sadness and all of this hate poisoned this water, turned it filthy with salt and anger. And ever since, it has been the brine lake that you know it, seemingly alive after its own way, always pulling new unwary ones to from its shores to its shallows to their deaths. I have tried myself to cleanse the lake several times, but the ire of rust dwarves is old and strong. The curse that befalls that water may be eternal. I have foreseen a future where it is no longer such, but the pieces have not even begun to fall into place to bring this to be. I hope that I am alive to see it happen. Mm. <clears throat> um, after a long moment, he would kind of like look left and right once more and just say, thank you for this information. Uh, I was not expecting such a sad tale. Indeed. Sad one, but lessons are to be learned in such tales. Jeez, do not lick the salt. <laughs> that is a fine nugget of wisdom, although not all of it to be gleaned. No, but it became very pertinent quite recently. I recall. <sighs> Aurelio, he knows about it. I... I He's going to end a lot of conversation before it begins. <laughs> on the subject of healing, however, on our way here, we did come across a merchant who it felt like more than a simple spell to harm us. Is there any way that you can... He killed my donkey. Yes, he did kill poor Esquilito. Prime is of his there, life. Is there any anything wrong with us that he did that we haven't noticed? Perhaps he has ripped from each of you a section of your mortality. As I recall, it was payment for a powerful weapon that you all have. I can twist the yarns of time and fate and mend to some degree what has been done to you. But that is the extent of my power when it comes to these manner of deals. If I take back too, if, well, I take back too much and return it to you, I imagine you could have another visitation from that merchant and it will be substantially less pleasant. Which do you choose? What does everybody think? Uh, I, take it this, all. The subtle thing with the whole not having the fight thing sounds good. You can take him over, yeah. What was that? Believe, believe in yourself. You can take him. No, 
I do not think so. Then perhaps... But I'm in. It's one versus five. How hard could it be? He can't kill all of us, right? We have a very important mission. Perhaps just a, just a bit of help on this front will be enough. Okay. Do the less vocal of you have any desire to speak on your fates? Cub is just kind of like half asleep on a, one of the pillows. Huh. He's trying to say, roll them bones. That's what they say, right? When you do the dice. <laughs> That's kind of give Orwellio a thumbs up. So shall I restore you all, or just somewhat? Uh, in for a penny. In my somewhat. Opinion. Is what it sounds like. Yes, yes, the one that gives us the good things without the bad things. Very well. We want to meet that hairy beast again. You still may. Rod and I are not allowed to talk to him. <laughs> well then he sort of uh, holds his hands back up and grabs the white flame that he was using for storytelling and compresses it down between his palms until you cannot see the light from it anymore and then he sort of releases the light in your general direction bathing you all with this sort of warm golden energy and you feel all of your max hit points go up by one. Yeah. <laughs> precious, precious hit point. <laughs> yes. Maybe you won't lick salt to death. <laughs> no one else is going to do it, alright? <laughs> I have one more blessing before I will send you back onto your path. Somi Beat, collect the vials, would you? To that, Somi Beat stands up, goes across the, the tent, and uh, grabs a potion bottle, and then one small vial. And uh, comes back and hands them, and then draws a dagger from his boot and hands it to Mus as well. The dagger is fine craftsmanship it looks to be almost like it's made of obsidian in the blade and it has little etchings of gold across the side of the blade's flat Ooh. to this Mus holds one of his arms up after setting and digging into the sand a little the potion bottle and he sort of slices uh, near his elbow like kind of in that little like fatty part of your forearm slices at it and uh, then pinches the wound to drain out this thick silvery liquid from his body he fills the potion bottle with this and then the vial and then as he wipes his palm against the wound it closes instantaneously he corks each of these containers uh, and then seals it with a wrap of cloth and hands these to you as a group. He says, 
Take of my blood, for it is imbued with incredible restoration. And should you find yourself in the most dire of straits, it will help you stand back up. Uh, I will bow my head and say, we thank you for this gift of your blood. We'll make sure to not use it unless it's a dire emergency. And, and he turns his face to Rodnar, do not attempt to sell it. For <laughs> it, it is, it is, it is blessed by me for you all. To anyone else, it will taste pleasant, but of no magical benefit. It is for you all and you all alone. <coughs> Don't worry, we won't let him sell it. Just, I will keep a personal eye on this man. Very good. Well then, so maybe escort them back to their carriage. They have much to travel and time to do it, but they should not dally if they can avoid. Jeez, uh, your home is very hot. Indeed. Should you all ever require my guidance again, I will be here. Although I imagine after today... It will be very inconvenient for you all to arrive. You're saying that like we're going to do something bad? I say that like you are going to cross many oceans in your path. Ah, gee, that makes the more sense. I was starting to think you didn't trust me. He sort of bows his head again. I wish you all well. Safe travel on your path. Thank you, Mystic Moss. Yes, yes, thank you for your resistance. Let's right. just write that down in my inventory, one vial of white centaur juice. <laughs> so, on upon the ushering out of the group, Cub will be the last in line to follow, and then feign exiting, mm -hmm. and then walk back in to address Moss once again. Okay. And then to kind of like turn his head to make sure no one else is around, he actually speaks for the first time. Okay. Uh, so you look over your shoulder to see if you are indeed alone, and the only thing you see through the tent flap as it sort of flaps close is Somi Beat's eye glowing with fire watching you. And I'm assuming must sees me enter again. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he is aware. So I address myself, Cub, you know this. And then I pull out like a seed from my, my pack and then kind of make it bloom into a small patch of grass. And then I also light a spark on top of the grass. You also know my past. Must I'm not. assuming. 
Do you know what happened to my home? Musk reaches forward and draws his finger across the middle of your forehead in a little vertical line uh, and sort of gifts you with insight. And he simply says, I do. It was nature's will. Believe it if you can. You will meet him again. And with like a, a small tear in his eye strolling down his cheek, he's alive. He's alive. And then I just kind of like bow my head and give thanks and then walk back out. Uh, as you turn to leave, you hear Mus stand. Uh, and he rests his hand on your shoulder and escorts you to the, to the exit. Um, and you can see and feel in his stature that he's actually kind of leaning on you for support. Um, and as you leave, he nearly crumples down again and whispers do not neglect the traveler he will be one of your greatest allies and you've never met him and with kind that, of thinking yeah he's kind of thinking to himself he just kind of like nods along all right and with that, uh, Somi Beat sort of scowls at you uh, and walks past you. You can see he sort of rushes to Mus's side, almost like a like a wet nurse to a child, uh, and sort of helps him back to the center of the tent. And you all see uh, Cub sort of emerge from the tent a few moments after you all left. And Somi Beat sort of dashes back into the tent. Cobb, you coming? I give a thumbs up and a... <laughs> That's right, push the pain down. <laughs> or Willie was already back, just looking around the town. Is there a wagon outside the tent? Yeah. He's in the wagon. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, uh, do you all just head out immediately, or do you... What do you do? Uh, Does anyone have any business here? Shall we just go? Chase, I wish to see this man's castle. And by this man, I mean this giant. Where he is big. I believe that I am ready to set forth. Alright. Alright, let's go. So, you guys uh, get yourselves together, get back onto your carriage, and mush on. The lizards pull you all out of the town and atop the first dune that you cross, you see Somi Beat standing there. Uh, wait, as if he was awaiting you all. This man is fast. 
uh, stop the carriage. I pull up to him, stop the carriage, and address him. So maybe doesn't say a word uh, until he hands someone a small scroll that is uh, not sealed, but just rolled up rather tightly with a single loop of twine holding it closed. Who takes it? I will take the scroll. Uh, So he hands it to you, and then he grabs your wrist with immeasurable strength. And he says with a very, like, almost threatening tone, do not read until the parcel has been opened. Do you understand? Good. With that, he lets go of both the note and your wrist at the same time. And uh, you see him sort of turn back towards the town, don his illusion of humanoid form, and walk back into town with his arms crossed. I'm going to get back on the wagon, and I'm going to take out of my pack my dragon chest set, and I'm going to put that scroll inside the chest. Okay. Put it back. (laughs) What, you don't trust us? super safe in there. <laughs> Only nerds play dragon chess. <laughs> maybe he, maybe to go to the secret nerd. Yeah, who knows? Alright, so. You all, uh, sally forth, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So, you know it's about two more days travel to your destination. Uh, is there any precautions that, or things that you all do during that time? Don't you think this man, he has much treasure he won't miss? <laughs> he says to no one in particular. Uh, I think it would be unwise to anger a giant or a group of giants. I think that taking any of his treasure would be the opposite of anything that we were just warned to <laughs> <laughs> say this thing like that's why it won't be the least expected thing oh well you're not this time you just kind of take anything unless it's convenient hey this man he shared my my view I bet we find... Eh, we'll see. I find something. He is big. We are small. We are small compared to him. Not you. He points at Dakota. You are not small. I flex a little. Yes. (laughs) Do it again. (laughs) I do it again. Do it again! (laughs) Stop. You make me hungry. Um... And with that, again. he... he... <laughs> <laughs> Orwellio is just eating biscuits now. And by biscuits, I mean heart tech. That's what I imagine our rations are, is just dry bread and... Well, at least what he bought was. It's just biscotti. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not biscotti, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're in a desert. It's Basandi. Thank you. God damn it. Oh, you're right. 
What's the passive perceptions in the group? Like 10. 14. Okay. 14. 15. Okay, so let's say the two 14s and the 15. You all here to the east, which is not the direction you're traveling, but not the direction you came from either. Uh, you hear the clashing of steel and of combat. Who's fighting in the middle of the desert? Seems like a bad idea. Let's go investigate. Orwellio uh, is right. It could be somebody in trouble, in need of saving. Karnstein, you have eight hit points. I'm sorry, who what now? You have eight hit points. Okay. Uh, you all crest the hill and see ahead a small battle has been is being waged. A single uh, half elf, clad in chainmail. Introduce your character. Uh... <laughs> Uh, you see uh, a man whose name you don't know yet. He is a half-elf, uh, dressed in kind of okay chain. It looks like it's it's seen some wear and tear and hasn't been as well-maintained as it should. Wielding a longsword that is very much second-hand, if not third, fourth, fifth, sixth-hand. It's, it's seen some years, too. <clears throat> the shield is relatively new. Um, he's got... He's got Fairly tan skin, almost Middle Eastern in color. Um, and his hair is really what stands out most, not because it's this weird color, but because it's like it couldn't make up its mind between his half-elf, uh, between his elven very long, dark, straight hair and his human very curly brown hair. So instead of, like, it choosing one or the other, it just decided to put them both in a bowl, scramble it up, and pour it on his head. So he's got very fine straight hair mixed with very wavy brown hair and it's kept in like a nice bun on the back of his head but you see him uh using a dead uh riding lizard as cover from arrow fire you can see that there are two combatants slain near him on the ground and several arrows in his shoulder in his shield and a sizable wound on his on his leg that pours blood to the sand near him maybe 50 feet away, you see there are three archers pelting his position with arrow fire and a single shield and sword fighter without either of those weapons drawn standing in front of the archers with his hands crossed, mockingly taunting the solo uh, half-elf. And then this person looks up and sees you all and you can hear him go, there's more. Turn your attention. And he points at your caravan. Roll initiative. Yeah. It's happening. <laughs> oh, fuck. I know. Ooh. Well. Okay. Mm-hmm. What a time to be alive. <laughs> Alright, um, let's see here. Okay. Uh, Arthur is 16. 
I have forgotten what to add to the roll. Your dexterity mod. Yeah, if anything. Orwellio got a 12. Go Orwellio. Do you have a dex mod, Orwellio? Two. Two. So you got 14 then? Yes. Okay. Bree is an 8. Cub, 21. Rodnar, 22. And Dakota, 21. Uh, Cub, what's your dexterity score? Not the modifier, the actual number. Uh, it is a plus one. No, 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 not the modifier, the number itself. Oh, it is 12. All right, and Dakota? 12. <laughs> Can one of the two of you figure out which one of you wants to go first or second? I'll go second. Okay. That's all that. Cool. All right. <clears throat> so, the uh, commander of the of the the bandits um, responds first. He draws his weapon and shield and seems to be positioning himself to defend the archers and seems to take no further action other than to be ready for melee combat. Um, all three of the archers loose at the carriage. Uh, and they... Uh, what's, um, your AC, uh, Rodnar? Um, 12. Okay, so you're struck once, one of the horses is struck, and the other arrow goes, uh, harmlessly into the carriage. What's the hit point of a giant lizard? (laughs) Well, it's, uh, let's say 12. (laughs) Okay. So one of the lizards takes four damage. You take ten damage. Okay. And now it's your turn, Radnar. Okay. Um. I grab up my weapons from underneath the seat. Um, does that cost me any, any time? Uh, generally, um, there is, uh, drawing a weapon is generally done as part of your move action. So if you're not even taking a move action, you just kind of do it. Okay. Uh, how, where, how far away are we? Uh, let's say a, a less than 50 feet. You guys are at the sort of peak of a dune, and they're, like, right at the base of it, so. Um. All right. Well, I'm going to keep the carriage moving forward. Okay. And... 
fire an arrow towards the archers. All right, so the lizards can move up to 60 feet. Do you, mm-hmm. do you want to, like, like drive just out of melee range? Uh, can I try to run them over? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> run them over. All right, make a oh God, make a make a uh, land vehicles check. Okay. Uh, what? Uh, <clears throat> it would just what, be a d twenty plus your proficiency because you're proficient in it. Okay. Eight. All right, so you <clears throat> careen down the dune. Um, and you realize that, uh, in your bluster, uh, you know, if you don't like course correct, you're going to capsize, make another save or make a, make another land vehicles check. The love of God, Rodney. (laughs) Everything's going to be fine. 16. All right. So you're able to sort of, uh, you know, keep things steady and sort of refocus the lizards but because one is wounded and you know you're kind of trying to keep things straight all you manage to end up do is sort of like slide down the hill and you're about 15 feet away from them when you're like lost all momentum okay uh so so that was move action uh yeah and then you shoot them so okay Shoot archer number two. Okay. Uh, is uh, 18. Yeah, you hit him. Roll damage. Okay. Oh boy. Get a whole D8. Uh, five. Alright. So you sort of ride up and then sink an arrow deep into one of the archers. He screams in pain, but does not relent. Cool. Dakota, go for it. Uh, whenever we've gotten closer, I'll, uh, get off the cart and with my spear and shield stride up to that asshole that has his sword the bandit leader. Mm-hmm. And um, I would like to... Oh, geez, what did I just do to my sheet? <laughs> uh, I clicked a thing and it didn't, oh, no. but it's fine now. Um, I'm go- I want to be as like imposing as I can and like see if I can like intimidate him into focusing on just me. Okay. So... Sixteen. I'll like point at him with my spear as I like heavily stride towards him and be like, "You now." All right. So he goes to swashbuckle his shield in response, but uh, instead drops his weapons, uh, grabs one of the archers, the wounded one, throws him in your direction. Oh my god. And then quaffs a potion and gains an amazing speed boost and just runs away to the southwest, crossing the entire dune as if he was running faster than the sand lizards were. 
great. This archer um, is now at five feet in front of you, but you've used your action. Yeah. My eyes would be upon him, then. Because the eyes of Dakota are upon you. <laughs> All right, Cub. Okay, so we are about 15 feet, presumably, at this point. I will use my movement to get within range of the second archer, which presumably was next to the first one. Mm -hmm. And then I will use poison spray. Now, the second one is the one that's right next to uh, Dakota. Do you want to hit him with that, or do you try, are you trying to hit a fresh one? Uh, the, the fresh one. Okay, so one of the so yeah, we'll just say archer number one. All right, go ahead. That's a six. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you, you splash poison in his general direction, but he's able to sort of raise his you know sandstorm cloak in the way to sort of deflect the the splatter. Arthur, uh, out of nowhere, a group careen, careening down a dune scares the shit out of the, the, the bandit leader and is actively engaging the other archers. Uh, you have, you know, two-thirds cover behind your former riding lizard corpse, um, and you're severely wounded. What do you do? Uh, I reach into the backpack on the lizard and quaff one of the healing potions that I purchased before this game started, and which is why I'm poor. Um, to regain some of those hit points back. And wipe my mouth and call out, okay, um, thanks for the help, but uh, try not to kill them. Not too badly, anyway. And I think a potion is your entire turn? Or is it just it's an It's just your action. Okay. Four, one, six, five, plus two, seven hit points. All right, puts me 15. Uh, okay, if that's just an action, then I'm going to grab my shield off from next to me and just, like, vault over the dead lizard and start charging up the hill towards the archers. Uh, you're in a valley. You don't need to charge up any hill, but yeah, you can't quite close all of the distance. No, I'm not expecting it to. Right, so you all see this uh, half elf sort of, you know, call out, you know, don't kill them, or at least not too bad, and then uh, surge halfway across the field to catch up. Next is Orwellio. All right. Um, so, like, the bandit leader's already long gone? Oh, he's 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 across the dune at least. You don't have line of sight on him. All right, and I definitely couldn't catch up to him with like expeditious retreat. Well, but if you cast that on yourself and then move to the top of the dune, you probably could, you know, do that in a turn and presumably see him. Hmm. No, I feel like going after a man with equipment when I have eight hit points is a bad idea. Um. I'm going to throw at which one of the archers is like right in front of Dakota. 
I want to try and blast them with a magic missile. Okay, that's Archer 2. Good luck, fucker. Roll damage. I can't type anymore. There we go. Pew, pew, pew. All right. So as the the bolt sort of viper around Dakota, uh, they slam into the archer and knock him uh, unconscious to the ground. Hey. Orwellio would, like, throw his hands up. He's excited. Is that your turn? Do you want to do anything else? Um, actually, I can hit them from the uh, wagon, and I'm yeah. totally cool with just that. Stay, staying safe. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm cool with where I'm and at right you now. You sort of just like poked your top half out, and we're like, yeah. and just Achoo! like ducked back in. <laughs> that is exactly what's happening right now. <laughs> cool. Uh, Bree. All right. Um. So, okay, so who is where? There's one uh, archer unconscious on the ground right in front of Dakota. The leader has ran away. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there's two more archers that are about 10 feet from Dakota, about 15 feet from the carriage, which is where I assume you still are. Yeah. And Cub is out there? Uh, No, actually. Wait, who went out there? Oh, yeah, he did. Sorry. He did go out and he cast Poison Spray on one of them. Okay. Yeah, I am basically behind Dakota. Okay. Um... He's behind my fluffy tail. <laughs> okay, um, then... I'll do some sort of, like, fancy climbing and get up on the top of the <coughs> carriage and then shoot him with my bow. Alright. Roll to hit. Do you want to shoot the one that got poison sprayed unsuccessfully or do you want to shoot the one that hasn't been interacted with at all? Who's the closest to them? The one that got poison sprayed. Uh, Is the one that's unconscious, yeah. No, that, I didn't even name him. Okay, so the the furthest one away then. Yeah, yeah. Not a great magnitude of being further away, mind you, but yeah. All right, go ahead and roll the hit. Are are any of them within five feet of our allies? No. Okay. That definitely hits. Go ahead and roll damage. God, I don't fucking kill him. Okay, where Seven. Okay. So you sort of climb up to the top of the carriage and use that new like vantage point to sink an arrow into one of the archers 
uh, it pierces and sticks halfway out both sides of his thigh. <laughs> it's a substantial wound. Do I do anything else? Is there anything else I do? Uh, well, you could probably move a little more, and you have your bonus actions. Uh, I don't know what... I don't think you have anything. Well, as a rogue, I think you have some stuff that you can do as a bonus action, like dash and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think you're in a good position right now, but... Um... Oh, cunning action. You can take a bonus action on each of your turns in combat. This action can be used to take dash, dash, disengage, or hide. Oh. So... Hide would be a good one. Let's, let's, let's do this, actually. It, I want to showcase something for you uh, as a player... Okay. So let's rewind your attack, okay? Uh-huh. So let's say you climb up onto the top of the carriage, use your cunning ability, and take the bonus action to hide. So this is just make a stealth skill check. Twenty-two. Twenty-two? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so... Both of the archers just made a perception check to detect you, and they've lost track of you. So you are now, like, they are unaware of you. Which means that if you hit them now, you'll not just hit them, you get to attack with advantage, which means you roll 2d20s and take the better one. So it kind of, like, doubles your odds. And Mm -hmm. if you hit, you actually do base damage plus sneak attack, which I think for you is just 2d6 additional damage. Uh... It's a 1d6 and increases by 1d6 every two rogue levels starting at third. So being level two, it's only 1d6. Okay, but still. So yeah, yeah. let's go ahead and, and like say that that's what you did. Yeah. Okay. You got up to a good position, then you hid, then you attack. So I'll go ahead and let you... We, we'll keep the roll as we kept it. Uh, so what did your first... Attack, what did you roll? The the damage on the first one? No, the to hit. Oh. Uh, that was an 18. 18. Roll it again and see if you get better than that. <laughs> uh, 20. She rolled. <laughs> so you criticaled? Yes. So yes. I'm going to let you know on a secret. This is how criticals work at my table criticals in the base system are you roll that you roll like twice as many weapon dice Ooh. I instead choose to say when you get a critical you maximize your weapon dice okay. so if you shot this guy and you criticaled him not only do you do your weapon damage which for is it a long bow it's a short bow okay so 1d6 Plus the 1d6 from your sneak attack. Plus your dexterity. Maximize the dice rolls. So 12 plus your dexterity score. Or your modifier. 15. Yeah, so instead of sinking an arrow into his thigh. Oh god. You you skewer his head. Oh my fucking god. And the guy just (laughs) drops. I said try not to kill them. Oh my god. I'm sorry! (laughs) 
Well, now at, at least there's on. still one. Something, another rule that we'll go over. If you want, you can always declare that your attacks are intended to be non-lethal. <laughs> so, bearing that in mind, if you guys want to not kill this last guy, but still do your regular damage, just clarify that before you take the hits, before you deal the hits. And since I kind of shanghaied that critical into existence, Bree, do you want that critical to be non-lethal? Uh, kind of funny being lethal. <laughs> okay, cool. Like, I'm fine with whatever your decision to be. I don't mean to, like, sort of, uh, you know, force your actions, but I wanted to teach you how you can play that rogue. Yeah. Uh, in, in some really devastating ways. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the one's alive, right? He's just unconscious. Yeah, the, so the one you magic missiled is unconscious. Thump. And then the third guy is alive and totally healthy and just has some poison spray on his cloak. And pee in his pants. Uh, yeah. Because we're going to reset the initiative, and that guy, that last archer, is going to recognize that he is outgunned, outnumbered, <clears throat> and his leader ran away. So with that, he looks at you all, snaps his bow on his knee, and raises his hands in surrender. Oh, thank God. <laughs> can, can I cast Magic Missile? <laughs> We're breaking out of initiative, so if you just want to do that, you may. Can a non-lethal... No, I'm done. <laughs> I'm going to kind of, like, wiggle my spear at him, but keep it, like, low and be like, on your knees, on your knees. He nods without saying a word and takes a knee. Oh, thank God. Okay. So, hi. Um, thank you for, for saving me. Um, but, uh, who are you? We are people who take our payment in gold coin. Uh, we, uh, we are a band of adventurers on our way to the giant slayer, not far to this. Can I do we a? Saw... Go yeah. ahead. No, you go. You're still talking. Uh, uh, we saw you needed help and intervened. Are you all right? Do you need any healing? Uh. Uh, no, I think I'll be okay with time. I, I hate to use your resources. They're kind of scarce out in the desert. Um, I was, I was just back on my way back to town, but I kind of got hit on this ambush here. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks for, for bailing me out and doing it with, uh, with as little lethal intent as possible. Cub, you would notice some, thing, some things about this half-elf. Mm -hmm. uh, he d is not dressed like he's from here. He seems to have, to have traveled some distance to get to the desert. Okay, Nathaniel. <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay, um, can I like do a front flip off the off the um, <laughs> wagon, like in front of? This new person? Yeah, give me an acrobatics check. Yeah, buddy. 
I want the opposite to happen. Yep. Sixteen. Damn it. All right. Uh, so you front flip off of the top of the carriage, and uh, you land, and almost perfectly, but you're not quite ready, like for the sand to be sand. Don't stick it. Yeah, you you do stick it, <clears throat> but it's not perfect. Um, like you land, and then the sand shifts as your weight hits it, and so what you know on flat, normal, grounded ground would look like a perfect landing. It looks like you landed and then sort of shifted with the sand. So it looks, <laughs> it looks a little goofy, but you do totally nail it. Cool. Nice. Um, and then I want to be like, hey, I'm Brandolin. You can call me Bree. Who are you? Uh, hi, Bree. My name is Arthur Karnstein. Um, you can just call me Arthur. Nice to meet you. And then I'd like raise a hand up towards him because I assume I'm shorter. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, so, um, you said you guys were heading out further into the desert. That's, well, that's the opposite direction of where I wanted to go. But seeing as there's A, safety in numbers, and B, resources, I'd say I'd probably be better off with you people for now. If that's okay with you, I'm not looking to intrude on your business here. Well, we very well can't leave you out in the middle of the desert with the dead lizard yeah you can have some of our resources uh no i i i don't want to impose on on you guys quite to that extent i i've got i've got some things of my own on my dead lizard or well i would point at the half elf i want your face to shut up to come with us (laughs) i don't like people who pick on one person when there are many people you and me both. I would like to know why they want to fight you. They bandits? Uh, yeah, the desert's not very important. Place. I don't know why you didn't want to kill them if they're just the bandits. Well, really, it's the people in charge. You get rid of the people upstairs, and the underlings tend to fall away. At this point, Good the enough. archer speaks up. We're not bandits. You felt like bandits. As I pull an arrow out of my shoulder. <laughs> Hey, Bree, you should check out the pockets. If you're not bandits, then what are you? He, uh, sort of, like, with his hands still up, he's with one, he sort of, like, gestures to his, like, vest pockets. I'll, uh, I'll search his pocket that he points to. So you sort of, like, open the fold of his vest, and you can see that it's uh, adorned with a symbol. <clears throat> and he says, that's the symbol of our employer. We're not bandits, technically, but we do uh, collect tithes. Can I roll... Mm, what would that be? History? So, uh, sure. Just a flat d20 with a 10. That's about as average as you could possibly get. <laughs> I rolled adequately. So is that a 10 flat or... 10 flat. Okay, so no bonuses to that roll? Nope. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the symbol is of like a, you know, a, it's it's a... How to, how to describe it? It's it's of like a, a, a torch that's on fire. Like, not just the head of the torch, but like 
behind the torch is a, like a symbol of a of fire. Um, and there is a gauntleted hand holding the torch. Okay. Never seen a symbol like this before. He like the the archer sort of looks at you all and goes, "You all don't recognize the great giant's symbol." No, what? We're not from here. We're from out of town. I guess I can see that, but yeah, we work for the giant. Cub looking to the bleeding out already dead archer just kind of rubs his hands over his face and groans. <laughs> Technically, this is a true fault. And uh, I will not and rob your friends. Can you save the one? He He's still breathing. Uh, yeah, uh, give me a second. Um... I cast magic missile. <laughs> 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 oh, you mean this guy? Uh, I can give you uh, a heal ch- or a medicine check on the guy who's bleeding out. Yeah, go for it. That's 12. It's enough to stabilize the dying person. So yeah, you're able to sort of staunch his bleed and reset like one of the magic missile broken ribs. Alright, I, as I do that, I'm like, alright, I'm fixing your guy. But it's now your responsibility to drag these two back to town and turn yourselves into the authorities. I'm trusting you to do that as the right thing to do, because otherwise you're stuck out in the desert and all three of you will die. I have a question. Yeah? Isn't the fire giant the authority? I have no idea. He would turn to the bandit. Isn't isn't he the authority? It's him or the rust dwarves, and I'd rather you take me back to my boss. I would say, considering we murdered the other guy, we take this guy to the place he's supposed to be. Not murder, self-defense. He corrects himself and points to the man. Are you guys comfortable with transporting all three of them with you to... We're going to the fire giant's place? Is that what you guys said? Wait, we're taking his body? Ugh. The the living archer who has surrendered, arms still in the air, sort of shakes his head. All right, we so bring it to man. Okay. During the exchange, I would like to walk over to the dead lizard and dress it in the field. In like good gown. As in like get rations and stuff out of it. I want to tie. Waste not, want not. I, I strip my belongings off of them, just taking a couple bags, what looks like a tent, uh, cookware, stuff like that. Alright. So, um, time-sensitive rations, but you are able to carve out about ten meals worth from the lizard. Hell yeah, brother. Um, I'd like to look at the bandit that was talking to us mm-hmm. and kind of like walk over to him. Pull him up onto his feet from his knees. Be like, you can stand now. Thank you, um, sir. We're gonna get you there. We're on our way there anyway. I'll give you some water. We'll take care of you. You're gonna go back, do what our new friend Arthur said, and everything is going to be alright. Right? Kind of 
in my big yak folkishness look at him. <laughs> Probably. That's what I thought. Sorry about decapitating your friend. He shakes his head. It, it's, 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 it's okay. <laughs> That's what I thought. Does, is, were the archers wearing armor? Uh, somewhat. Like, they're, they're wearing leather armor. Right. I want I want to take the bow from the dead one. Okay. What kind of bow is it? It's just a metal longbow. Longbow. Okay. It's mine now. That's finely crafted. Um. Well, if I see him doing that, then I'm gonna go over and kind of pick through. Orwellia would totally stand over her shoulder and be like, "Do you find anything good?" Uh, as, uh, the living archer sort of just, like, looks at his dead compatriot, says a real quick prayer, and then does a very cowboy thing where he sort of, like, kicks a small amount of dust on him and goes, well, he's buried enough, and then he walks over towards your carriage. Good enough for Aurelio. So, you guys raid the dead archer. Um, <laughs> Good times! He has 15 gold on him. He started it. Um, he has a long sword. He, I mean, I assume that, did you take the longbow from the wounded guy or from the dead guy? From the dead guy. Okay, so he doesn't have his longbow anymore. Um, but the wounded guy, guy obviously has his longbow on the ground near him. Uh, they both are wearing quivers with 20 arrows. The arrows are also very finely crafted. Um, and, uh, I mean, he's wearing desert-appropriate attire. You can tell he probably was very comfortable until he was killed. Uh, That'll change things. <laughs> and uh, you can you can see he has a healer's kit on him. Nice. For those of you that are unaware, if you use one of the ten charges on a healer's kit, uh, it restores, I think it just restores one hit point. Um, but that can be used to stabilize people instead of rolling a medicine check. Uh, there's other stuff to it. You should look up the healer's kit, whoever gets it. But uh, it's it's very useful. Alright, cool. I, I want to take the syllables. So, the longbows and the longswords. Okay. And if there's no objections, Cub will take the, the kit. Okay. Um, Orwellio is going to look at the bows and see if there's another manufacturer's mark. Um, yeah, it's a, a very dwarven symbol uh, sort of pressed into the metal haft. Okay, cool, 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 cool. He didn't know, yeah, it doesn't mean anything to him, but he definitely looked for it. Um, and you'd definitely be able to be like, okay, the, no, no human... Is that Art Deco? Oh. <laughs> Just in case, he raises his hand again. I propose the next guy we'll go to trade with, we, uh, we're we going to check his other goods out first. <laughs> the archer sort of explains, uh, all of this stuff was made by our forge master in the keep. Okay, you just saved me a lot of legwork. <laughs> you saved me all of my legwork forever, so... D deal. Hey, this guy's okay. 
I'm Wait, Eric, by the way. Forge master. Uh, yes, ma'am. The rust dwarves have many talented smiths in their line, but well, some of my compatriots about a dozen years ago uh, met a rust dwarf contingent, and well. We found them at night, and, uh, well, we may have kidnapped their blacksmith. Huh. That does not bode well for you. He lives, he lives, and he lives well at that. Uh, uh, you know, he produces good work, and my, my, my boss, the, 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 the good giant, he, he, he treats him well. Yeah. You still kidnapped a man. I will reiterate, this does not go well for you in the long run. Hey, if I have a long run, I'll take that. I could be like... Whew, he sort of like points to his fallen companion. <laughs> this guy always focuses on the negative. I'll walk over to Eric and be like, and just hand him my uh, water skin. Be like... All of our choices catch up to us in the end. But I'm not going the guy on the ground. Arthur nods. Could we, it's a shame we could not catch up to his boss. That dude ran really fast. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just the way you said again. that. Yeah, it's, it's good. Uh, I'm sure we'll see him again. Eric says, Do you all. Where am I in the wounded? Well, Frederic, where are Frederic and I going to stay in your travel? On foot? When he is better? Just put him in a cart. Of course. And so, you know, the two of them, you know, he gets Frederic into the cart. Uh, and, uh, you know, you guys are pretty much ready to set back off. Um, he'd pull out the skull to watch the uh, prisoners. I would not move if I were to. Eric staring oh, at the skull just sort of sort of terrified nods. Yeah. As I get on my seat on the back of the cart, I'll look to Arthur. Arthur was it? Uh yeah, that's me. Dakota Pathweaver. Uh can I roll history on the name Pathweaver? Sure. It's eleven. Uh, I, I forget where where you're from exactly. Uh, I I'm from the the western continent. What is that? Uh, Delverde. Yeah, yeah. I'm from Delverde, kind of on the northwestern coast of the Lake of Verde. So yeah, I, I mean, would have had some business with the with the lake there, but that's kind of about as big as I got. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe you've met a couple of yak folk in your years, but like maybe one or two. This would be, you know, two or three here standing in front of you. So you're like, oh, I guess that's a common name. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> okay. All right. So as you sort of all collect yourselves and set back off uh, to leave, we'll go ahead and end it for tonight. And for those of you who used any ranged ammunition, which I think was just Rodnar and Bree. Mm -hmm. um, both of you roll a d20 for the ammo you spent. And if you get a... One to nine, that ammunition is broken. You don't get it back. Uh, and then if you get a ten or higher, you find you're able to retrieve the ammunition. 
Cool. Normally you just get half of them back as like a catch-all, but when you only shoot one, we just sort of flip a coin. Um, all right, so that's where we're going to end things tonight. I know we ran just a little bit late, but it's only five minutes. I think we'll be okay. I hope you all enjoyed this session of Dungeons & Dragons of the Sword of Yalzar campaign. As always, I've been your host and Dungeon Master Kenny. We have our complete party once more, including our new fighter, Arthur. Uh, yep, this is James playing Arthur. Our sorcerer. Hey everybody, it's Jeff playing Orwellio. Our rogue. What's up, I'm Bree. Our druid. It's Robert playing Cub and my dad's still alive. Our ranger. Play as Ragnar. I got some new syllables. <laughs> and last but not least, our paladin. Hey guys, this is Dakota, and I can't wait to play my dragon chess set. <laughs> I'll see you guys next time. Take care and good night. Don't do that again. <laughs> <laughs>